It's just after I see a movie, I like to go get a piece of pie and talk about it. It's sort of a little tradition I have. Do you like to get pie after you see a good movie? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Queer Film Podcast. I am your host, Brian Rowe, and this week I'm here with my friend and contributor, Chris. Hey, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. Uh, it's always uh, a fun conversation when you come on, and I know that we've covered uh, Oscar-nominated performances before and talking about straight actors playing queer. And so this, I'm glad we're able to do this pairing um, right in the midst of Oscar season. Uh, because both of these movies, anyone who's clicked the button knows that we're covering Philadelphia and Dallas Buyers Club, uh, and both of these movies won acting awards um, for cis straight people playing queer. Um, And we'll get into all of that. Um, But so thank you for agreeing to talk about this. This is also a couple of problematic movies that I was telling you, my other contributors kind of didn't want to touch because of how problematic they are. And I agree they're problematic, and I don't in any way want to encourage people to watch them because they are that problematic. However, I think they're important and they're worth talking about in the context of queer cinema. Um, And so that's why we're here. Here we are. Uh, And we'll start with, as we always do, with the first one that came out, uh, Philadelphia in 1993. As everybody knows, Denzel Washington, Tom Hanks, directed by Jonathan Demme. Uh, Tom Hanks won his first of two Best Actor Academy Awards uh, for playing Andrew Beckett a man who was fired for having AIDS um, and sues as a result. Uh, Chris, what did you think of this movie? What's your relationship to this movie? You had seen it before, right? I had, but I had only watched it uh, about two years ago. So I don't have a long history of being uh, either a fan or even just someone who's seen this movie. Um, But of course I was aware of it. I think right when it came out, because it was kind of a landmark movie, uh, especially, you know, for uh, representing um, both uh, gay people and uh, someone with AIDS. Um, There were not very many mainstream movies um, that did either of those things. Uh, This was marketed as the first. Yeah. The first like Hollywood movie to Mm -hmm. address an AIDS uh, character with AIDS. Yeah. And so it was like, I was really young um, at the time, like too young, you know, to to watch this movie really at, at the time or, you know, to have any interest really in watching it. Um, but I was sort of like the, the awareness of like Oscars and stuff like that was already kind of hovering for me. Like, I feel like there were a lot of years where I was sort of picking up through osmosis, like what movies were winning Oscars and sort of almost like mentally like compiling a like list of movies to eventually check out and watch. Um, And this was just one of those movies because it, you know, I wasn't aware of exactly what it was nominated for, but to me um, it was one of the movies that most cut through the noise in like 93 that I was most aware of Um, this and like kind of Schindler's List, which won best picture that year. And I was really aware of that mainly because it was the same year Jurassic Park came out and Steven Spielberg, you know, directed both of those. So I was obviously like really like pulling for Jurassic Park um, at the Oscars, you know, it won some technical awards. Um, And so anything Steven Spielberg did was also kind of just like, oh, he's the Jurassic Park guy. I want him to win. Um, But beyond that, I think this is the movie that personally like would be top of mind, you know, if you were to ask me, about best 
actor winners in the early 90s or movies that were kind of in this conversation. So it always like looms large for me. And I think, um, you know, as someone who was like a little kid, I didn't know anyone certainly um, with AIDS at the time and didn't know a lot about it. And so it kind of gave a face uh, to it for me, like something that I could kind of identify with like a single person, you know, Tom Hanks, obviously an actor uh, playing someone with AIDS, not, you know, having it, but it was kind of probably the first time that I was able to like really put like what AIDS looks like, you know, kind of visualize like someone who has that. Cause I'd seen, you know, the pictures or clips of the movie. Yeah. Um, I think Tom Hanks casting is kind of what got this movie to this is what got a mainstream audience to watch this movie um and i think it's a very early and we've talked a lot about this podcast about like straight actors playing gay um this was 1993 in a time when it didn't happen like straight actors just didn't play gay to do it in a movie like philadelphia where he's dying and he's dying very specifically of aids um to give it to cast someone like tom hanks who at the time you know was coming off of like sleepless in seattle and Joe versus the volcano and, and an Oscar nomination for big, like known as like this sort of comedic actor uh, to give this like, and also like a really friendly sort of approachable seeming kind of everyman uh, to cast him in this role um, is very deliberate. And I think it's probably, like I said, it's the reason this movie got made. It's the reason so many people saw this movie. Um, I remember watching this with my family. Uh, we watched a lot of Tom Hanks movies together. We watched Big and Joe versus the Volcano and Splash and Turner and Hooch. And so watching this with my family in that context, like didn't really mean anything to me because it just felt like, oh, we watch this guy's movies all the time. I don't think I was looking at it as um, it's a movie about a guy with a, a guy with AIDS. I certainly, that wasn't a thing that was on my radar. I don't think at that point in my life, I would have been 12 uh, going on 13. And I think any inclination that I might've had, I was furiously burying <laughs> and uh, not even acknowledging to myself. So I don't remember that having a sort of an impact in watching it, but I do remember we watched it and I remember my mom cried and it was the, like you and like a lot of other people. I think it was the first time I was ever really had ever really been made aware of AIDS. Like I said, I was 12. So I, I remember like the late eighties, like Elton John concerts with Elizabeth Taylor and like Ryan white. Do you know who Ryan white is? Sort of. He yeah. was like this little straight boy that got HIV Oh, yeah. blood transfusion. Okay. I do remember. Um, and he kind of became this innocent face of AIDS um, uh, until his untimely passing, of course. And uh, I so I remember knowing what it was, but I don't remember any sort of controversy about us watching Philadelphia. I also remember we watched, I remember watching like Oscar movies with my parents too. Like I remember we watched Dances with Wolves. Like I said, so the, the gay thing didn't really like, that wasn't something I was thinking of when I was watching it. Um, it was just a, sort of the sad movie watched by my parents. Um, it's interesting now as an adult, you know, 30 years later um, to watch it. Um, it does get a few things right. I do think that Tom Hanks casting is, I think it's good casting because I do think it makes it palatable um, in a certain way. 
Um, and I think Denzel is very good. Denzel's one of my favorite actors. Like, I don't think, I don't want to say I've never seen him give a bad performance because he has, but it's not in this one. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. So like I said, watching it at the time, it, it wasn't very controversial. And I didn't really understand. I do remember watching that Oscars because I remember Tom Hanks. It's the whole, we talked about this when we did um, In and Out because his speech outing his uh, gay teacher or he, his speech talking about a gay teacher inspired Paul Rudnick to write in and out. Um, and so I remember all that. I remember Schindler's List winning. I remember like, that's, this is like an early Oscar ceremony that I remember watching because I remember watching and I had seen, Schindler, I think Schindler's List was another one too that we watched. Um, like I said, so we watched Oscar movies too. So it didn't really rate in that way watching it now though uh like i said i think it's a little problematic so i sent you the the link to uh larry kramer's review uh which made some really good points and a couple of racist ones uh but the one that stuck with me that he said was this was and a lot of people a lot of gay people at the time were saying this was that this movie doesn't represent me or any gay person that i know or any person with hiv that i know um, and that was a common refrain at the time. Like I said, it's not something I was aware of at 13, but looking back, you know, it's very much there. And I think if I was an adult at the time, I would have been, on, I think I would have been on Larry Kramer's side. <laughs> um, I don't really agree with his uh, piece. I mean, I think he makes some good points, um, but it, there's also like a lot of points that I think are just not that well made and you know like he at one point says like this movie won't make any money um blatantly wrong it made over 200 well, million dollars um you know it, it was one of the top 10 movies of the year um i get like larry kramer um you know obviously was very um involved in um shedding light on this disease and telling this story um, early on, you know, much earlier than Philadelphia came out. So I completely understand his desire for more. Um, but I also think that the movie, that, that there were people like Larry Kramer already doing that and not, you know, on the scale of a movie like Philadelphia, that just, you know, that's that's a door that needed to be opened, you know, kind of gradually. And Philadelphia is kind of the movie that, you know, at least um, in part, you know, set out to, to start opening that door. Um, and I think the movie, because it was such a hit and because it got such visibility with the Oscars, um, I think it's still a movie that if, you know, you ask people, um, for better or worse, you know, but, you know, like, what's a movie about AIDS? I think it's still probably the first movie that comes to mind for a lot of people, and, and it's still in people, people's heads. But um, I think it was a really important time for uh, this movie to reach the audience that it did reach, which wasn't the, the audience of Larry Kramer, who obviously was, you know, much more knowledgeable about this and, and knew a lot of gay people. This movie was really made for... Um, an audience of people, I mean, you know, it was made for everyone, but I think the primary reason that it was being made was to reach an audience of people that thought that they didn't know anyone with AIDS and didn't have to care about it. Right. And so 
and you know we'll get into like the specifics i think of, of how the movie does this specifically but in general just i think that 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 is kind of the, maybe not more important but um but was very important at the time because this disease had been kept so silent. I mean, silence was really the biggest enemy of AIDS, especially, you know, through the 80s. You know, it wasn't even mentioned for the longest time by Reagan or, you know, other other politicians. It was something that was kind of just being swept under the rug. And so what really needed to happen in this moment is that it needed to be made really visible to an audience that the audience that was able to ignore it up until this point. Um, and I think that the movie, you know, in, in most ways did accomplish that and does it well. And I actually really like this movie. So I'll just come out and say that, um, you know, now, um, to, you know, just to make it clear that, you know, we're sort of on opposite sides again um, on, on a movie. Yeah. And it wasn't a movie, you know, that I was really invested in before I watched it for this podcast. I liked it the last time I saw it, but I didn't really think too hard about it. I was mostly watching it, you know, just to see Tom Hanks's performance for the first time. And this time I really like kind of dug into it um, a little bit and kind of where the culture was at the time. And also just like really paid attention to kind of how it, framed the story, um, which, you know, I'll go into more specific thoughts later, but in general, um, I, I was just really impressed um, with this movie and, and did find it very, very moving. Um, and so, yeah, with Larry Kramer, I mean, yeah, he makes, he makes a couple of good points. He makes a couple of bad points. He makes a couple of, or at least one racist point, um, yeah. which, which is weird, but um, I, I get that, I get that argument, you know, that, that you have, this is something that you've been dealing with for, you know, a decade and you've seen your friends die and you've created art that speaks, you know, more directly to the community that's most affected by this. So I absolutely get why he would watch this movie and be sort of disappointed. But I think like there were a lot of people making art from that perspective and this is a movie that sought to kind of tackle it for a different audience and I think that's also something that needed to happen and and really valid and I thought it was done well um for that audience yeah I don't um I gave this this movie is two stars on my letterbox I don't dislike I don't actively dislike it there's a lot here that works I think like I said I think Tom Hanks is good in it um, I think Denzel is good in it. I actually think my favorite performance, maybe not my favorite performance, but a performance that doesn't get talked about uh, is Mary Steenburgen, who I think is great. Like I've always loved her. I've loved her ever since, uh, honestly, Back to the Future 3. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, um, I and think casting, she's very good in the movie. Casting her, sorry, I, casting her as the villain is such a like maverick move, I think, just because like she's so likable, you know? Yeah. And even in this movie, she's almost likable, even though she's like, like the lines that she's saying, she's like a pretty horrible person, like defending, yeah. you know, a corporate, uh, basically corporate bigotry, but, and doing it with right. a smile on her face, but you kind of can't help. And then at one point, you know, she says like, I hate this case, which yeah. um, she actually like was not really in the script, but because she 
was so conflicted about having to play this character like Jonathan Demi was like yeah go ahead and just you know say that if you want to because like she wanted to show that this person was a human even though you know she's kind of um doing the indefensible um in the case so anyway I actually I I had to Oh no, it's fine. I actually think that line is, um, I know I read that too, that on the internet database that it was sort of ad-libbed in the moment, but I also think that line is a key to that character and and that performance. Um, Because she does elicit sympathy when she says that. Like you can under, like you have this moment of like, yeah, like you said, everything she's been saying is like monstrous and offensive. Like, um, but for her to turn and say, I hate this case like there's that sliver of like she knows it and she even probably you get the sense that she probably even knows she's wrong in this instance and that this case is wrong and that they're gonna lose but she's got to do her job and i like and i like that i like that moment like i said i think that moment is key to her performance and i i like that performance a lot the reason it's two stars um and not higher on my letterboxd is because i find it a difficult like I was saying, I find it difficult to recommend. I find I, I'm probably never going to watch it again. There's a lot about it that evokes like negative feelings, and I watch it. And that, like I was just talking about Mary Steenburgen, but that scene when she's like quizzing him about like, did you know when you went into this movie theater that people had sex there? Like, did you know these play these? That's such a like. Again, I love I love Mary Steenburgen, and I love her performance in this, but I also like. Fuck you, like, and fuck this movie for, and fuck Jonathan Demi for, like, putting the camera in her face and making that, Jonathan Demi does that a lot. He does those, like, close-ups where the actor is talking to the, or looking at the camera. Well, yeah, I mean, so we talked about Larry Kramer, but the writer of this movie um, is also gay, so we should note that. So it was made by Jonathan Demi, who's a straight man. Um, Obviously, the two stars are straight. Um, but it was written by a gay man whose nephew had uh, died of AIDS. Um, and a lot of that is personally in here. So it's not like it's completely made without any, you know, kind of understanding or, you know, personal connection. And yeah. there's a lot of extras throughout the movie who really did have AIDS at the time. Um, the crew, uh, you know, was watching in many cases um, these you know, actors in the smaller roles, um, a lot of them died, you know, before the movie came out or even before production ended. Um, one of the guys who plays one of the uh, corporate guys the in the who's in the movie is, you know, straight and, and bigoted, although he's the, he's the most kind of sympathetic one of those. And um, he had AIDS at the time. He's the one who um, kind of kn- knew what was going on a little bit and kind of held back from telling the other partners. And they, at one point they asked, like, did you know? And he was like, well, you know, not really, but really means no. yes. Um, and anyway, he um, died of AIDS shortly after um like four months after the movie was released and almost wasn't able to play his role. So there were a lot of people who were really knowledgeable about it on set. And the, you know, the people who didn't come into the movie, you know, starting off really knowledgeable about it um, certainly were by the end because they were literally watching it happen, um, you know, with, with the people who are in the movie and advising on the movie. So um, I just think that's an important context to kind of note that like, it was a part of this production, whether or not it was, you know, kind of the director and the yeah. stars. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you say that, I I do think there is a lot that's uncomfortable in this movie. And, that, and that's why I really like it is because I think it, 
there are like things like, you know, what Mary Steenburgen says that you still hear today, you know, that, that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like basically that implying. woman probably, if that was, if this was a true story, that woman would probably have a show on Fox news right now. Exactly. And it, 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 she's speaking really to that sort of implication that um, gay men, uh, you know, are deviant, you know, engaging in risky sexual behavior. So in a sense, they deserve it, or they've kind of earned getting AIDS um, in a way that, you know, straight people don't. Yeah, I think that's what, I think that's the thing that kind of bothers me about the movie is it feels like, it doesn't feel like hateful movie like it doesn't feel like it's coming from a place where they want to put these people down or anything like that but at the same time I think the reason that I respond so viscerally to Mary Steenburgen's like line of questioning is because it feels to me like that's kind of the it feels to me that's the point of view of the movie that the movie is saying like it sucks that this happens but this guy did this to himself it really feels like it like it wants to it wants to acknowledge the horrors of of AIDS and of dying of AIDS, but it doesn't feel sympathetic to the gay people in the movie. It feels they feel very sort of disposable, and mm. I think that's what really bothers me about the movie. Um, I I couldn't disagree really more. Is I think it's, <laughs> it it makes me cry. Like I cried watching the special features. I cried listening to the commentary. And just like when watching the movie itself. Um, so I, yeah, no, I was like very, very moved, especially by, by the end of the movie, um, but really throughout. But I mean, I think to the point that I think what, what people kind of negatively respond to the movie now is saying that it's not enough about Tom Hanks's character. He's a very, or, like, that's the other, he's a very asexual character. Like, that's another thing, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, Continue. okay. Yeah. He, <laughs> he also is dying of AIDS. So it would be kind of, you know, not that at the, at the degree that he's at for most of the movie, like he's probably not going to be, you know, um, having a lot of sex, but uh, anyway, fair. that's fair. <laughs> um, but to me, like the movie is not really trying to, completely be about a character dying of AIDS. To me, the movie is about putting America on trial for dismissing AIDS. And the character in the movie that really goes on a journey is Denzel Washington's character. Um, You know, Tom Hanks, they're co-leads. I don't think it's necessarily one or the other story, but I think Tom Hanks remains pretty constant throughout the movie and is not the one who really has a journey to go on. Denzel Washington starts the movie um, being, in, you know, incredibly homophobic, but beyond that, misinformed about AIDS and also just, you know, like he doesn't even really want to shake uh, Tom Hanks's character's hand, like when he comes yeah. into the office, doesn't want to take the case. Um, and and the case itself is about um, Tom Hanks being fired for, for having AIDS and basically... I think in a larger sense, the movie is just about straight, straight America not wanting to deal with AIDS, wanting to ignore it, wanting it to go away, thinking it's someone else's problem. And so it's the movie is about Denzel's journey from 
having that attitude toward not necessarily being like less homophobic or, you know, he's not going to, I I don't think he's going to go out and make a bunch of gay friends at the end of this movie. Like, it's not like a kind of a cliche, like 180 degree transformation for him. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not that he's, you know, becoming someone who like loves and, and admires homosexuality and, and, you know, or even necessarily like supports it, but he has gone on a journey from not even wanting to like, look at this man, not wanting to look him in the eye to believing that he is a human being and deserves the same rights as everybody else. And I think that's what the movie really is about. It takes place in Philadelphia, you know, which is the city of brotherly love, you know, obviously the city that the Declaration of Independence was written in, you know, um, where these rights were first conceived of and obviously conceived uh, in a way that, as far as we know, weren't really taking homosexuality into consideration, right? you know, whatsoever. You know, obviously it was a different time. Uh, they probably didn't even think that that would ever, you know, become a become an issue, but, you know, wrote the words, like, all men are created equal. And you know, the law has to uphold, you know, the constitution. That's, that's what it is. So to have it take place there and to have this story be about um, both one man going on this, on this journey toward, you know, kind of making that small realization, um, but, and also, you know, kind of holding corporate America represented by these rich white straight men um holding them accountable for not you know, for taking away those rights um I, I found it like really really moving and and kind of a statement just that like this the putting it in this setting I just I found like really made it kind of a very like quintessentially American story and kind of quietly made the statement that isn't really like echoed that much in the actual dialogue but just like this is the story of equality, you know, again, you know, and, and people with AIDS are the same as everybody else. And we need to like uphold their rights the same as everybody else and treat them as humans, you know, the way that we've had to realize that, you know, slaves are humans at some point and, you know, that people have like all people really need the right, the same rights that, you know, at one point were just afforded to basically like white men. Yeah. Well, he says as much in the movie. He says, he's mm-hmm. like, these people are disgusting, but he was fired for this and that's not right. Um, and he's right. Like, you're right. But like, I guess for me, the thing is, um, um, I, this is maybe the Larry Kramer point of view, but it's this sense of like, yeah, it's sort of putting America on trial, but it's also letting a lot of America off the hook for ignoring it for so long. And it's it. This movie should have come out, you know, ten years sooner or five years sooner, even ninety three. So you figure, yeah. Um, and so it's easy for me to see how Larry Kramer, after years of doing his fighting, and even and this is another thing that I wrote down that I thought was interesting. It's like two years after Angels in America, uh, which is of course the Tony Kushner like, Pulitzer uh, winning play. So like, we've seen that depiction before. And it just feels we've seen an honest like sort of depiction of of AIDS and what it looks like. And this just feels like 
a very watered down too little too late version that feels kind of like it's taking the side of the oppressor in the sense that like i was saying earlier what it reads to me is um that the movie's kind of saying yes it's they're acknowledging that yes it's not right for that to happen but again that the that these these faggots did it to themselves is the mo- is the sense that i get from the movie because because you center on the Denzel Washington character and you give the Denzel Washington character that arc why does it take a gay man dying for a straight person to realize our personhood we shouldn't well, have to die before that happens no we shouldn't have to but it did <laughs> it did happen sure happen. and i mean you're saying it's too little too late but it was also the first so yeah, I mean, Angels yeah, in America was a Broadway show. The audience for a Broadway show is very different than the audience for a Hollywood movie. So, well, yeah, ab- absolutely. Theater is always, you know, pushing harder. Usually, like, is is more, you know, kind of risque and more and more experimental than like a mainstream movie, especially in in these days. Before, you know, there were a lot of like independent movies, and you you could get more um, niche. Um, but I think, I mean, I, I don't think this movie is on the side of the presser at all. I mean, it's, it's literally about a trial that is, you know, that they, that they lose. And I think for most people to see this movie at the time, they had to have a character like Denzel Washington in there. Um, yeah, you need that like middle America, like surrogate. Like they're not going to see angels in America. Like most, most of the people who've seen most of middle America, you know, has not seen angels of America still, you know, and even, even though there was a movie, you know, um, with big stars in it, you know, but because it's too gay for a lot of people, you know, they have not seen it. Um, And this was really kind of like, to me, it's, it's like the door was closed to, for, yeah. you know, 90% of these people. And this movie kind of opened, opened the door. Right. Um, didn't, you know, it wasn't like it guided everyone through it. Obviously not, not a single movie could really even accomplish that possibly, right. but it couldn't be all things to all people. It couldn't both be the movie that Larry Kramer wanted to see and the movie that middle America would see. Um, right. Yeah, of course. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily make it good. You know, that <laughs> there are a lot of movies that make those concessions that are not good. Um, but I think this one really is very smart and savvy about the way that it tells the story. I think throughout there are, it kind of quietly equates this struggle with like, um, there's a black a woman on, uh, sorry, on the stand, uh, the witness stand, you know, testifying for Tom Hanks's, you know, work performance. Oh, that was, uh, that was, I'm glad you brought that up. That was a great scene. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, it was. I mean, and and it really stands out, even though, I mean, that actress, uh, Anna Devere Smith, I believe is her name. She's a big um, theater actress. So I've seen her before, but she does a lot with just like a, a pretty small role, but it's, you know, she's basically, you know, calling out Mary Steenburgen and then the company as like saying like, yeah, I'm a black woman who, you know, got a promotion at this job, but that doesn't mean like, I don't experience racism here. 
and that that isn't part of the same thing that Tom Hanks, you know, was fired for. Right. It's like, you know, there are there are a couple of characters who I feel like kind of draw those connections. And so I think it really smartly kind of makes this fight, you know, it kind of equates it a little bit with civil rights and just this ongoing sort of struggle for people who are not straight white people to be seen in America. Yeah. Um, and to be recognized and to be given, you know, the same the same rights that they were. And um, I think it's easy to, to look back on it now and, and criticize it if you if you'd like to totally take it out of context of the time. But for it being, you know, the first mainstream movie to do this um, on the scale and for it to have works, I really think it did. Um, it really did, I think, put like a kind of a, a sympathetic face on AIDS for a lot of people and not just people who were uncaring, but even someone, you know, like a kid like me who just wasn't exposed to anything else at this time to like say like, oh, like a character, you know, that I like, like Tom Hanks, um, like if that's the kind of person that can have AIDS when what you're hearing from other places is that like these people are deviants and deserve it. And, you know, it's, it's not a problem that most Americans have to deal with. So we can just kind of let those people, you know, kind of exist in their corner and kill each other off basically. Like that's kind of the message that you're getting definitely from conservative America at a certain point um, and still in <laughs> certain parts of it. Yeah. Um, but, and then when you finally put that on the face, I mean, it, it's a little simplistic, you know, but at the time, you know, most people are not going to Broadway shows and ex being exposed to that much art about this. And so I think it really is an important moment of visibility that kind of, probably I think did change a lot of minds um, or at least, you know, made them more open and made them more receptive to um, thinking more about like who these people really were rather than just dismissing them. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say in any way that this movie um, like it, cause like I said, when I watched it as a 12 year old, 12 or 13 year old, in 1993, um, I didn't equate it with myself or anything else. But I, one of the other things about it that um, kind of rubs me the wrong way, um, and maybe this is just me being overly sensitive, and if it probably is, but um, and this is movie didn't create in any way like um, my fear of AIDS and therefore a fear of, of sex, but it didn't help it either. Um, and I think looking back on it, I think to have those sorts of, um, there's a lot of, like I said, it's, you're right. Like, you know, you, you, it features that scene with the, uh, with that actress whose name I, you just said, I don't remember. Um, so that, yeah, there's moments. I think, yeah. Say that again. So Anna Devere Smith, I think is her name. Thank you. Um, but at the same time, um, I guess it just, like I said, it, it feels like it really sort of demonizes. Um, it's, but it's like, it feels subtle in a way because, because you don't see, like I said, Tom Hanks is a very asexual character and you're right. Like if he's dying of AIDS, he's absolutely not going to be having sex, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be 
seeing his friends or cuddling with his boyfriend or seeing his larger gay community, his entire community, according to this movie is his boyfriend and his family and his lawyer and his job. And there's no, a, there's I, a, there's a scene at, he has a party and he has a bunch of gay people there. Like a, yeah. Like, and Quentin Crisp is there. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I didn't spot him actually. I read that in the in the, but I didn't. I read it after the fact, so I didn't go back and look for it. But I didn't spot him. And uh, the extras there, almost all of them were actually like men with AIDS, uh, by the way. Um, yeah, but there's no. It's but that scene, and it's uh, that scene is very much about him and his lawyer. Like his lawyer's there, and he's like, "Oh, welcome," and like he's meeting people. Um, there's not a lot of it's just not a very like queer looking party it just looks very heteronormative and again like i said you you know it's easy uh to with the benefit of hindsight uh because like i said too i do remember watching this with my parents and uh if tom hanks hadn't been in it there's no way they're going to watch a movie about aids and it definitely did get eyes on it in a way that uh casting two queer actors wouldn't have done because no one have, no one have, would have heard of them and um and it's so it's that's i think that's the other reason i can't fully like dislike it either because i've seen in my own life that my that it has gotten people that i love to watch this movie and expose them to this character and i think for me part of it is like it doesn't it's i like larry kramer said it doesn't feel like it reflects my life in any way so if they're watching this and relating it to me it's a complete fabrication. Um, and maybe that's more on, on, on fit on the people watching it than the movie itself. But like I said, uh, that's, I think that's why I have trouble with it. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'll just say like, I think like the party scene has him and Antonio Banderas, who are, who's his partner, they're dancing um, like very intimately. And I think that scene actually does so much that like a sex scene or, you know, like having them make out like doesn't do. It's like an actual like intimate scene, but that also feels real in the moment. Um, There there was a scene um, of the two of them in bed together that was cut out just for um, the fact that like it didn't work. I watched it, it was on the Blu-ray and it isn't a great scene, you know, definitely deserves to be cut out you know um not just because it wasn't cut out because you know like people would be you know offended by seeing them in bed um but there's a lot of moments where they like they don't make out but they like Antonio Banderas kisses him on the hand or on the forehead or something so it's not shying away from showing them and there there have been you know partners for at least like a decade in the movie. So I feel like it's a lot more believable. I feel like it would be kind of weird if it was, if they were, you know, making out, you know, it, it's a court. I'm not saying they need to make out there. It just, aside from the scene where they're dancing, it doesn't feel very, um, and that's a very short scene and it just doesn't feel like there's much. Um, well, I get the a script, little, script gives them much. I get a little irritated with the like argument that like gave, like all gay characters always have to be shown having sex or something too. Cause it's like, again, that's not like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying they have to be making out or, and I don't want to see a sex scene with Tom Hanks in it with anybody else. <laughs> watch a sex scene. Also, I'll watch a sex scene with Antonio Banderas, but um, <laughs> there are plenty to uh, choose from. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they am straight. 
Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying their relationship reads as very clinical and asexual aside from the scene where they're dancing. Um, and the kiss on the hand doesn't, I guess it, it just doesn't read as romantic really to me. Um, it's very, it's, it, I don't know. Well, we can agree to disagree on that, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I, I find there that they are very intimate together, much more so than I expected. Even after like re, re, uh, reading the Larry Kramer piece, I was like, oh, okay, maybe he has a point about that. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, wait, actually there are all these scenes where they are yeah. you know, touching each other and being affectionate. Um, I mean, in general, I think the movie is, we're basically seeing what the courtroom sees, you know, with a couple of exceptions, yeah. like the party, it's a courtroom movie. Um, so I think, you know, there's obviously not a lot of room for a whole lot of, um, you know, yeah. like him being, you know, queer in different ways. Um, but I think like for, for this type of movie, like putting the party scene in there and showing that he has friends. And um, there's a couple of scenes where you see that like his friends are like, he has gay friends around him who care about him. They're going to like the hospital to see him. Um, so I, I, I felt like there was enough of that. Um, but um, I also feel like the movie's kind of point of view is from that courtroom and just sort of seeing what you would see more or less on from a guy on the stand and not necessarily like showing too much of of his personal life because that's not what you would see if you were kind of like the jury like we're sort of put in the in the almost like we are the jury in a way and um and so we're seeing like what we're seeing in the courtroom and kind of brief like snippets that kind of support that but not not a ton of stuff until the end you know when we kind of follow him to the hospital I did really like uh, Jonathan Demme's, uh, he, he kind of has a tick as a director in a lot of movies of having characters look the camera in the eye. Mm -hmm. um, and I really liked that in this movie, just because I felt like right away it kind of established um, with the Hank's character, um, like you have to look this guy in the eye. Like I, I thought it was like kind of a declaration early on of like, like you need to kind of like respect and pay attention to this guy um that that i found yeah i guess a little groundbreaking in a way even though he had done that at least in silence of the lambs um if not maybe in other movies too but um and in that movie i mean a lot of that i think was done for the you know jodie foster character and kind of making her an equal of like the men in, in the FBI, you know, that she needed to be kind of like looked in the eye with respect the same way. So um, yeah, I just really liked that technique, especially in this film um, for that, for the way it, it kind of forces you to empathize with him and like kind of humanize him right away for, you know, a lot of us in the audience uh, don't necessarily need it, but I think, or maybe the people who did, it might've been an effective technique. Yeah, I think it works like, I'm gonna sound like my grandfather, but it works like gangbusters in, in Silence of the Lambs, um, particularly the interrogation scene with her, with her and Anthony Hopkins and with Anthony Hopkins looking into the camera. I think that in that movie, it creates this 
tension because this insane person <laughs> is staring you in the eye and a you're it's incredibly unsettling and also b you can't look away um it has a completely different effect in philadelphia um but it's interesting i'm glad you brought up silence of the lambs because that was one of the notes i wanted to bring up because it was uh said that he said he did this movie sort of Jonathan Demme directed this as something of an apology for the perceived sort of transphobia in Silence of the Lambs, um, which there's a lot of it in Silence of the Lambs. Like that's kind of, if, yeah, I don't want to go down that road, uh, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to make sure we brought that up. Um, do you think this functions as sort of a an apology for that or what do you think of the two films in relation to each other i think that he just wasn't aware um of in silence of the lambs that that was going to be an issue that it took him by surprise um and i definitely see the argument for silence of the lambs but it also was um such a specific like serial killer character that it's like I don't, I, I never see it as like representative of anyone except for like that one very disturbing character. Um, but I think what this, what the relationship really is, is that like that, the, he listened to that, um, that outrage that arose over that movie and uh, was, and, and I think that's, it kind of opened him up to seeing that there was at least something that those people were saying. I think he recognized that that it was a problematic trope. Um, and I, I, so I think he was going into this movie with his mind really open and wanting to make sure that he got it right and doing the research and, you know, having um, a lot of gay voices involved in somewhere along the line of this production, including the screenwriter. So um, I, I think he was just, yeah, like his mind was definitely trying to avoid doing something like that again, where he was sort of um, pissing off a community that um, that he wasn't a part of. And ironically, um, in a smaller way with this movie, but uh, he did like address uh, the Larry Kramer article, like him and the screenwriter did um, in one of the um, special features that I watched. So um, you know, and he was, he respects Larry Kramer, um, as you know, and Tom Hanks did too. And so that, you know, I think they believe that that's a valid opinion as well. And their point of view is kind of that they were making a movie that, uh, Larry Kramer, <laughs> probably the, that Larry Kramer would necessarily have to hate because it was meant for other people to watch it that would have hated the movie that Larry Kramer would have loved. So, yeah. um, I mean, that's, can't please everyone. Right. That's a fair point. Um, yeah, because the movie the movie that I'm asking for and that Larry Kramer was asking for is not a mainstream movie. And I think in terms of, uh, you know, well-meaning movies that seek to kind of address an injustice, I think this does a lot of stuff pretty well. Um and that's and and again, like I said, I watched it with my family. I, I know for a fact they wouldn't have watched it with another actor. Um, and so I can't really hold a lot of that stuff against it, even if I personally find ap aspects of it to be 
somewhat objectionable. I can at least respect that it's of a time and that it was doing something that needed to be done. Um, Which is why I wanted to pair it with Dallas Buyers Club. Um, Because my initial reaction after seeing Dallas Buyers Club was, wow, all these years after Philadelphia and we still can't get it right. Like, or Hollywood still can't get it right. Um, Do you have, did you have any more though that you wanted to say on, on uh, Philadelphia? Before we pivot. <laughs> uh, no, this will be a good pivot point um, because, I mean, the last thing really was just um, that I thought of in the heat of the night uh, a lot while watching Philadelphia this time. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen that? Uh, I have not, actually. I, but I remember I remember the TV show with Carol O'Connor. <laughs> I've seen that. I remember seeing at least like commercials for that show. Um, but the movie won Best Picture back in 1967, and I think it also sometimes gets that like similar criticisms of like, oh, this movie didn't go far enough. Uh, Sidney Poitier got a lot of those criticisms for playing, you know, kind of um, black characters who were in the eyes of some people, you know, a little too uh, much part of the establishment, not radical enough. Um, But, you know, again, with that movie is like, it was about as radical as it could be and be a movie that won Oscars at that time. So, um, and it, and that movie similarly is basically it's a it's a white cop in a southern town who is forced to kind of work with this black uh, northern cop, um, but in the south you know he's obviously seen very differently than he's seen in the north. So um, it's kind of the journey of of the white cop you know kind of coming to respect this um, other man, and so you know obviously the the comparisons are pretty obvious, but um, just mostly in the, in the kind of way that they're talked about now is that I really respect in the heat of the night a lot too, because of what it risked at the time, Um, even shooting down South was very, very dangerous for Sidney Poitier um, in the sixties. So um, like you, yeah, you can, you can look at it now and kind of say like, oh, you know, it's kind of, it's just like a nice, like a white guy and a black guy getting along and it's not, you know, taking huge risks, but at the time it, it kind of was. And I, I feel the same way about Philadelphia too, is that it was actually a pretty risky film um, in 1993 um, that I think did have a pretty big impact probably um, on the culture and just on the way that First on making AIDS something that I think people, they, it kind of gave people a frame of reference to talk about AIDS that maybe they didn't have one before. Um, and also just, I think it kept um, certain aspects of it in people's minds and just like what what it looks like, you know, um, even though it's, it's obviously a Hollywoodized version of that. And if they had watched a documentary or, you know, something else, they might've had a better idea. But a lot of these people are not going to go to those lengths to seek out something. So it, it kind of has to be a, a piece of art that comes to them or meets them halfway. Um, and so I think it's good um, on that level uh, in a way that uh, Dallas Buyers Club may be uh, risking a little bit less, I guess we'll see as we, <laughs> as we discuss it. Well, I think that's a good place as any to just go ahead and pivot right on over to uh, Dallas Buyers Club from 2013, starring Matthew McConaughey and Jared Leto. Um, Tell us what you th- what, what were your thoughts rewatching this movie now today this this week for the podcast. 
Wow. I had actually watched this um, about the same time that I first watched Philadelphia last. So that wasn't that long ago. That was like two years ago. And I thought it was okay. I saw it back in 2013. I should come clean and admit that um, my personal choice for Best Supporting Actor that year was Jared Leto in the Dallas Buyers Club. Um, so I I was never like wild about the movie, but I, I really did um, like those performances. Uh, also Matthew McConaughey, who also won Best Actor for the movie. So it's a double Oscar winner. Um, it's one of only five movies to win both, uh, both Best Actor and Supporting or the internet movie database, but so go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, and I, as I've mentioned on this podcast, I think before as you know, I've, I've watched and rewatched a lot of Oscar movies and I'm pretty much done with watching all the, the winning performances. So it was sort of just coming in that stew of like, how do I feel about these performances? Um, so I really didn't think I was going to have a very different opinion, you know, just a couple of years later. Um, but watching this right after Philadelphia, um, I have to say it did not hold up to um, either my expectations, really, or just obviously to Philadelphia, um, which I think is a far, far, far better movie. Um, um, and the the main thing, I mean, there's obviously some specifics to get into, um, but the main thing is sort of just like, like we talked a lot in in our Philadelphia discussion, like what was the point of that movie, you know, and it's it's pretty clear, I think, that it was, you know, to address AIDS, which had mostly been kind of ignored um, in the media um, and especially, you know, by Hollywood. Um, it was the first mainstream movie. This movie, um, that was exactly 30 years ago, by the way, this is exactly 10 years ago now. So they're both having anniversaries. And so this movie is a whole like 20 years later, um, a lot has changed in the culture over those 20 years regarding both AIDS and um, sort of the mainstream perception of homosexuality. Um, you know, it's coming out sort of at, at the time that um, gay marriage is starting to become legalized in a lot more places. Um, and it's just like, it, it's hard to like grasp really what I'm I'm trying I try and be generous a lot of times with these movies because I don't really like the terms like Oscar bait or you know I don't really I'm I try not to be very cynical at least these days um maybe just as a reaction against uh everyone else being maybe too cynical um you know I'm just trying to be a contrarian but with this one it was hard not to be a little bit cynical and just kind of wonder like what exactly this movie was going for like that it felt like like why did the story need to be told or what what was really driving people to make this movie yeah i think this is the worst kind of oscar bait um where you insert a big name actor um a supporting actor who hasn't acted in five years, you know, is this sort of comeback role um, in a sat in a in a disease movie. Um, it feels like I said, it feels like the worst kind of Oscar bait, and I know that's not a phrase you enjoy, but this, I, if if any movie has ever earned that, 
uh, phrase. It's this one because it feels like, and uh, well, because it feels like they famously uh, the main character uh, Woodruff, Ron Woodruff, was bisexual, um, and they made him straight. Um, which is one of many things. It feels like they made him straight so that you could attract a big name star who wanted an Oscar. Like it didn't want to be honest with his story. Um, And there is a real story to be told. The buyers clubs were real things that, that people ran to get difficult to find or unavailable in the U S drugs to AIDS patients um, there's a absolutely a story there. Um, and that story is about the queer people and the lesbians that ran those clubs. Um, <laughs> lesbians are the unsung heroes of the AIDS crisis. Um, and this story is feels like a slap in the face. You've created a, a, a trans character from thin air and given the role to a cis actor um you play fast and loose with the facts of the medication that they're all talking about um they literally when according to the trivia one of the actors that they cast had aids and had to correct them and say like a lot of this information is really wrong um the only thing i can i like about this movie is jennifer garner because i find it i find her very difficult to dislike <laughs> But, I yeah. do not like Jennifer Garner. I guess we found a point uh, of contention. I actually hate her in this movie. I think she's terrible. And I hate she's not character. great in the movie, but I like her. And I like when she's on screen because I'm automatically engaged because of my affection for her. But it's not a great, necessarily a great performance. But she does have a way of sort of furrowing her bow, brow and just absolutely breaking my heart. <laughs> oh my god it seems so fake to, it's a weird place to start this conversation and <laughs> it's okay but i i even wrote down like she's trying so hard to do her concerned face like i know whole... yeah a little bit it's again it's not the best it's not her like she literally like i've seen her in better in episodes of alias on abc but at the same time it's like i'm endeared towards her so i i can't fully hate her the way i hate the rest of this movie mm-hmm Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I hate this movie. I still give it a sort of maybe like a two, two and a half stars. Um, But I also completely understand why anyone would hate it. And I don't really disagree with any criticisms of it. So, um, yeah, I mean, so so Ron Woodruff is a real character, um, as you mentioned. who some of the facts are kind of disputed, but Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people have said that he was not as homophobic or maybe even homophobic at all as he is in this movie. This movie is, I mean, Matthew McConaughey is like level 10 homophobic, you know, (laughs) like there's, there you, it would be hard to make him more homophobic without him actually like killing someone. Right. Yeah. So like as a, like I'm a, I'm a screenwriter, so I understand like the drive toward and like if you find a character like this, like there is like it's a you want to you want to get that like larger than life character. I mean I I'm not speaking as myself, but I'm trying to kind of imagine like the genesis of this movie is like you find an article about this guy who is a colorful character, 
And then you kind of push those colors like to more extremes because that makes, you know, kind of a, a more interesting movie and, and draws talent he's, to the he's role. Ti- he's Tiger King. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's Tiger the King, Tiger King. But with AIDS. But um, with AIDS. Go ahead, um, I'm sorry. No, I mean, it's absolutely true. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like, and like coming into this podcast, I was thinking like, okay, these are two of the AIDS movies out there. Um, and I and started trying to think about the rest of them. And there aren't really that many more. Um, there, you know, there are a lot that have, that touch on it, um, you know, or have, you know, some part of it, but there aren't that many that are like stories with like protagonists with AIDS. And that's kind of like a major aspect of the story. So, yeah, I just, it seems like such a strange choice now, 10 years later, to kind of say, like, you know, it's been 20 years since Philadelphia. Um, I think, you know, we're ready for another, like, aid story. Like, what if it was a straight man who was, like, really <laughs> homophobic? Like, right. like, just of all the stories to tell, like you say, like, there are other buyers clubs that were out there there are other kinds of ways to tell a similar story if you want to and it is it's just I think it's just you know kind of the contrast of like oh a homophobe with AIDS that's an interesting story you know kind of inherently just because of the conflict it implies but um well you also you also give him the arc of learning to love uh Rayon the trans character who they're constantly at at odds um until she dies um and then you know he's very sad about it that she dies um also but meanwhile they misgender her the entire movie did you notice that oh yeah i noticed that um right i mean so i think at the time at tw- in 2013 i think a lot well and the movie t- is taking place in like the 80s so i think it's true that a lot of people would do that um, but it doesn't seem like the movie itself is very consistent about who is calling her what gender when, because I feel like they misgender her, but they also occasionally like don't. And I, f- I feel like she's the only one that correctly that, that genders herself as a she is a female. And when I, talking about herself, she does. Yeah. And I I just think the writers are not. Not not uh very well educated on on what a trans person what their experience would actually be um i believe the writers are both straight um i tried to find out a little bit more and that's that was the conclusion i got but i didn't do a ton of research um but um yeah i mean she's a composite character they say so i think you know there are people who were somewhat like rayon you know sort of in this story somewhere yeah, I mean, there's a lot of confusion. It it's it honestly was like an interesting testament to just how far we've come in 10 years because that wasn't something that I or I think most people noticed um, in 2013. And now it just sounded wrong every time they said he. Yeah. And so I would, I would say that it's not something that and I didn't I'll confess I didn't notice it either. But because we're both we're both cis. And I think that trans people watching this movie absolutely probably noticed it in 2013. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great 
note to me because I, I do think that there are people who did um and that I just was not I yeah as aware. I wasn't either yeah for sure I definitely wasn't educated on that aspect and I definitely it wasn't something I noticed before for sure so no there's a scene where Rayon um like puts on a suit to go visit um his or her father I guess depending on which pronouns you're going to use if you're going to use uh the movie's pronouns or the ones that seem more appropriate and especially it's confusing in that scene because he's now dressed um in male clothing um uh, but... her father well her father refers to her as Raymond right. um and I could ma- I feel like you could make an argument that in that scene she's Raymond because that's exactly. how she's being she's that's how she's being perceived by the father Right. And she's and put that she's put the clothes on to make herself more palatable, palatable, palatable to get this money. Which is just so I mean, it's a kind of a weird scene in a lot of ways, but it's just like she I, I get why she would put on male clothing, but it's weird kind of to put on a suit just to go visit your father because he's a lawyer. But it's like, I guess you're going into his law firm, but like. I don't know. It just, it, it seemed like an odd choice. Like, where is she even getting a suit? You know? So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, there was a lot about this movie that I didn't like, but I, I actually thought that the suit, um, it's the, it was, cause the suit makes sense because it's the most masculine thing that she can think of to wear, to go to this office. And also she's trying to impress her dad or like, she's trying to get money out of her dad. So she's going to present herself. She's going to put her best foot forward. And her dad, who is a lawyer and is in a suit in the movie and works in this like big prestigious office, like is going to respond more to a suit than jeans jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah, I like the idea of exploring that. And I think if the movie had been a little bit clearer just about like what her gender identity was. Right. Like the movie doesn't give her the credit that I just did. But, right. Yeah. yeah. I th- I think it would be really interesting to see a trans character do something like that. But it, because it was already a little bit confusing, because people she's supposedly very close to are calling her a he, then to see her dress in male clothing, kind of in this willing way, like I don't know. It just it was it added further confusion. Where I was just like, I don't yeah, feel like this movie I, yeah. understands like has an idea of what you know gender she feels like she is or you know just hasn't really established what her gender identity is in relation to the people around her that she would be close with that she would probably you know want to say like hey by the way right right. uh, maybe you could refer to me as uh she um anyway um Yeah. yeah Um, and, and that just seemed like, again, like kind of like a, a, a scene that was a little Oscar baby. I'll, I'll just use the word or a little yeah. bit like, you know, it just felt like it was the like kind of gasp moment for the audience of like, oh, like this is what she really looks like or something like that. Do you know who else was nominated that year? Um, it was 2013. Um I do remember that I, that was the year that I wanted uh, uh, um, Leonardo DiCaprio should have won for Wolf of Wall Street. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I love the. Wolf that was of my. Wall Street. That was my like at the time. I I was banging that drum. I still 
think that's his best performance. I think the Revenant win was an apology win for not winning the role he should have won. I think Matthew McConaughey should have won supporting for Magic Mike a year earlier. Because um, yep. I thought he was fantastic in that. But this performance, I think, um, is just he just lost a bunch of weight and then he just walked in and he's like, I'm Matthew McConaughey and I'm a homophobe. And what that's his performance. Yeah. This was the time like the term McConaissance was a term uh, coined. And um, I think it was one of the first of those, you know, and now like, you know, everyone has a a, a sense of some kind, Um, but it was the one that kind of, he really was like coming up from behind at this point and had kind of been washed out. So he was definitely like in, in that way, like due for the Oscar. Um, I agree about magic Mike. I thought he was definitely my pick for that. Um, this was a good year for best actor. Cause it was Leonardo DiCaprio, who is also my choice, but also Chiwetel Ejiofor for um, 12 years a slave. Oh, um, great performance. Um, Bruce yeah. Dern in Nebraska also. Yeah. So um I think I liked Matthew McConaughey's performance, but I liked those other three that were nominated uh, more than this one. Um, For supporting actor, it wasn't like a super strong year. It was like Jonah Hill for Wolf of Wall Street, (laughs) uh, Michael Fassbender for 12 Years a Slave, Bradley Cooper for American Hustle, um, and Barkhad Abdi for um, Captain Phillips. So... Not so to true. my mind, that I re- listening to that, like that's Michael Fassbender all the way. Yes, um, I mean, I 100% think Michael Fassbender should have an Oscar. Um, yeah, I would give it to him for shame personally, but yeah, um, but yeah, but I mean, that wasn't like one of his greatest roles, or like even the movie, like Lupita Nyongo was a lot more standout. She won, you know, she did um, win. I, rem- I do remember that. Yeah. So, um, I think in that crop, it it sort of makes sense um it's definitely like the showiest performance of those um and i will say i don't hate jared leto's performance i uh, like he would not be cast now um at least not without like a huge you know outrageous firestorm um that would probably have him then uncast um but at the very least like wouldn't have been nominated for an oscar yeah. Even and, if like if it was happened and they went through with it and they made the movie, they would not, they would actively not right. even but, submit you, him probably. Things have changed a lot in those 10 years. Um, and so some of what doesn't work around that character, I think, is cultural. And yes, they probably should have done more research um to give an accurate um portrayal. And I I feel like the character is just caught somewhere between like doing drag and being trans like that that at the Mm -hmm. time that a lot of people I I think didn't know how to distinguish between those two things um and that's kind of where the character falls in in that in that like because she's also doing like a very like big kind of you know like she's very showy especially in some of her early scenes and she's like a fun character I think like she like livens up the movie when she's there like especially when they're like playing cards or something like she's a welcome presence maybe only because he's so toxic that it's like oh, yeah. like someone that I can at least like sort of you know that I might actually want to be around in real life um maybe <laughs> uh questionable but um so I think if, if she wasn't if she wasn't stoned on heroin then yeah absolutely. right yeah that is exactly what made me qualify that I was like oh, she's <laughs> kind of a major drug addict as well so maybe yeah, yeah. maybe not someone I want to invite into my life but 
Um, but I think she has a fun presence in the movie. So in that way, I kind of like her. And But I, I think like she's more acting like a drag queen uh, in yeah. especially those early scenes where she's being like kind of big and showy and like she's she's acting like she's performing and on stage and and I think that those things are just being kind of um, conflated in a way that's not actually accurate to most people. Yeah, and I, well, I think if drag queens like don't put makeup on and and dress up when they're not performing. Um, no, they don't. And so, yeah, I think like they're acting as if she is a drag queen that is going to perform at her hospital visit. And this, you know, because she's like, she's, yeah, she's the movie doesn't know. I, I feel like, I feel like the movie doesn't know the difference or doesn't know if she is trans or a transvestite. And I think the movie doesn't know the difference between those two terms. Right. And I think they're more treating it like a transvestite, which is someone who just dresses in women's clothes, who is a man who dresses in women's clothes, um, who identifies as a man and dresses in women's clothes. Um, That's what a transvestite is, Um, at least as far as I understand it, if I'm wrong. Um, Right. Yeah. Don't at me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I think part of that is just like sort of where culture was. So, I don't want to rest that all on just this. Right. And like I said, like, and and even in the case of Philadelphia, and again, and I wanted to go back to this. I want to, this is kind of the the key to, or the point that I wanted to get to when pairing the two movies is, like I said, I remember watching it in 2013 and thinking, boy, it's been 20 years since Philadelphia and we can't do any better. Um, I can forgive Philadelphia for being, uh, for 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 casting straight people in queer roles and making the focus of that story the straight guy and the lawsuit rather than the reality of queer people dying of AIDS. I can forgive Philadelphia that. I find it harder to forgive this movie that because it feels like they actively ignored a lot of the science. They made a, a queer character straight and um, it spits and, and it creates this trans character from whole cloth. I can, I understand create like an, an amalg- amalgamation of the doctors, the idea of creating a Jennifer Garner character to represent for it to be one person to telling them all this medical facts, I think in a story structure makes perfect sense. That's fine. But it's creating this, maybe trans, maybe transvestite character, actively not understanding them, and then using factually incorrect science uh, uh, to tell your story. It feels like a, a slap in the face in a way that Philadelphia doesn't. Philadelphia feels like a well-meaning movie made by people who wanted to bring light to this topic. Dallas Buyers Club feels like a movie made by people who saw Philadelphia and wanted to win Oscars. Yeah, that, I guess that brings up like the other thing that I think honestly probably bothered me more than anything about like the gender or sexuality is just like the way that this movie treats medicine and science, um, which plays really differently after the past couple of years because 
Yeah, I thought about we, that. Definitely. Yeah, we've you know we've been through COVID, where obviously, uh, particularly conservative people, just basically became like total deniers of. Not that yeah. you know they weren't in some ways before, but um, deniers of like medicine and science, and just kind of went rogue and were like, "Oh, like I don't want to like do the treatment that all the doctors are saying I should right. do. I'm going to find this random drug down in Mexico, and I'm going right. to take that and give it to and tell everyone else they should take it." And it plays like really wild now, and I'm just like, "What are you doing?" Like, certainly, the FDA and like the medical establishment deserve you know scrutiny and criticism for many things including uh around aids um but also like this movie treats matthew mcconaughey's character as if he's like really got the answer when he's like not a doctor (laughs) and just getting like random drugs from mexico and like basically prescribing them to people um you know stealing uh like a prescription pad so he can write yeah. prescriptions. Um, it's it's very irresponsible. And I think it's supposed to be fun at the time. But once, now that we are just close to another epidemic <laughs> where this kind of thing happened, you know, in a very different way, um, it's just, it's kind of like wild to like have a movie that's rooting for this kind of character. And he's also like a huge bigot. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, what is this? hero supposed hero that i'm supposed to be rooting for here exactly and i think that's one of the like i think that's one of the like important interesting stories about these buyer clubs that it's worth telling and how they were getting their information and how they were getting their drugs and in that situation um we know now that the fda um put a limit on these drugs and 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 tried to to stop people from getting them and one of the most telling things i think comes late in the movie very very near the end when jennifer garner's character uh eve mm-hmm. is basically like why why are these people now allowed to get this drug and the doctor's like because they're st- they're dying and there there are no long term effects we're just delaying the inevitable and there's a truth to that that I want to see explored in a movie that wants to explore that. Um, this movie's not interested in that. It, I think it kind of just is playing to the rafters. I think it's it's trying to get those Oscars and those brownie points, and it, it wants to like point out that AIDS is bad, um, but it doesn't have. It doesn't feel like it has any skin in the game, and it feels like it's coming from a very sort of this again it's this oscar bait it's the it's the quintessential oscar bait movie yeah yeah it's and the way that it portrays aids uh, particularly this time just struck me as like very ghoulish um yeah. especially around like rayon's death like i mean i i had a hard time like articulating exactly like what what the difference was and i think it's just maybe the writing and that the characters aren't believable enough that like their suffering feels earned so it just kind of feels like like off off off-putting and and just kind of like miserable to be watching them kind of basically waste away and and die in this way like it just wasn't 
it wasn't well written enough to kind of justify the kind of ugly places it had to go in in a couple of places. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, I want, I, I want, I'll take a documentary. I like documentaries ab- about these people who were there and doing that. And like I said, too, I, um, I've read enough queer history to know, like I said, that lesbians were the unsung heroes. Um, and I want to know those stories and I want to hear about that um, because that's the reality of what happened. This feels like, like I said, it really just feels like a movie that they threw together, taking a bunch of elements they knew were Oscar friendly. And that was, that was their whole point. Um, Cause it doesn't feel like, and, and, you know, I mentioned uh, Jared Leto's Oscar sort of campaign. Like it doesn't even feel like he learned anything from the movie. And from this experience of playing this character. Um, and it doesn't really feel like McConaughey did either, from what I remember of, of reading about him at the time. It purely feels the cynical ploy to just win some Oscars and we're going to uh, make this movie and it's going to make people cry and they're going to give us an Oscar. And the, the idea that it won and the, the idea that it beat all those great performances that you just mentioned. I can, I can understand it beating Jonah Hill, Jared Leto beating Jonah Hill, but to beat DiCaprio, um, Bruce Stern, um, 12 Years a Slave, really, come on. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, but it, it's just 20 years later, I guess it felt like in a way safe to make this movie like like Philadelphia wasn't like a safe movie to make it wasn't a safe bet really in any way and this movie does feel like a safe bet you know in that way of like it feels like it's not taking any risks in the way it's portraying the characters in the way that it's casting this movie um in the way that it's just having you know a straight man with aids in in the center of it which um by the way i mean like when hollywood was first considering doing an aids movie back in 93 um the other scripts that were in contention were all straight people with aids and uh it philadelphia was like the one that luckily was so like it could have been worse in that way but it was like coming you know 20 years later it's just there's such an opportunity i think for you know 20 years later to have some distance and to maybe even like look deeper than philadelphia did and you know with more distance philadelphia was coming right off of the 80s but this movie really could have looked at the 80s like much more critically and instead it really just indicts sort of vague doctor characters who don't really feel like real people um yeah and the good doctor is also she's actually a terrible doctor i mean she's a nice person <laughs> but she's a really bad doctor <laughs> she does not seem we to will not anybody. have any jennifer garner slander on this podcast it's not her it's her no i know the I'm character like <laughs> she, like uh ron woodoff is like telling her medical things and she's like oh really like it's just like <laughs> did you go to medical school or not lady like 
that's just another symptom of like lazy script writing. That's another mm-hmm. symptom of like, we have to get this information to the audience so they understand it. So where are we going to put this in the screenplay where someone's explaining it to somebody? It would have made more sense if she was explaining it to him. But. Right. And like, there, there's a way to like, that this movie really could have, you know, pushed some envelopes and really like criticized like what was going on in the culture at this time. Instead, it really doesn't even like, like it just goes after this one sort of like, problem with the medicine but it like it really doesn't put it in any kind of like larger cultural context of what was going on in the 80s um it just feels very like cut off from the rest of the world and and cut off from reality and uh yeah i mean it's well i mean i think that's what you get when you work backwards from how are we going to win an oscar you get these broad strokes of uh, I'm going to play a guy with AIDS. I'm going to play a guy that's dying, you know, and we're going to put a queer character in there and, you know, that, well, that'll get an Oscar and I'll get an Oscar. Um, I did want to, since we're talking about Oscars, I want to mention the fact that it won best makeup. That must've been a rough year for makeup. Was there not a Marvel movie out that year? Like what? I, I didn't look it up, but. Um, the makeup isn't bad by any means, but it's also not, I don't know, okay. Oscar-worthy. Uh, the, the other contenders were The Lone Ranger and Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa. Oh, okay, fair. I guess, oh, fuck. What a, what a wow. So the, okay. the other alternative was that Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa would be an Oscar-winning movie. So <laughs> I guess... And that you give it, you give it the Oscar for for putting an old man makeup on Johnny Knoxville or you give, what was the other one? Lone Ranger. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. That is the lone category that I also would have voted Dallas Buyers Club in the Oscars. Mm -hmm. I did. I, like I said, I wanted to talk about this movie, these two movies together because I remember my initial reaction in 2013 to Dallas Buyers Club is like, boy, we sure haven't, come any further than Philadelphia. Um, and it's a real shame. Um, well, I think it, this movie went really far backwards, though. Absolutely. Well, that, that's, that's <laughs> the point. Yeah, that, yeah. But that's what I'm saying, is that, like, it, you, you, in 20 years, we shouldn't, we should have elevated way beyond it, but instead we're going backwards. And I'm not saying you need, you know, three movies a year about gay people dying of AIDS, but... For there to have, you're right. I can't think of one between these two movies. Um, but they they're probably out there, but I'm not thinking. And I know there's it's my party, um, which I don't know when that came out. But um, anyway, it just feels like Hollywood. Twenty years later, 2013, and even ten years after that, like doesn't it's they're still trying to figure out how to tell gay stories, how it's also queer stories. And AIDS and HIV is a very real part of our lives as uh, as gay men. I don't know about you. I know, I know many people who are HIV positive. I'm grateful that like science has come so far that those friends of mine will be around for a long time. It's no longer a death sentence. Um, but at the same time, the only thing since Dallas Buyers Club that I can really think of with any mainstream exposure is Pose. 
Yeah, Ryan Murphy's done a couple, like he did the Normal Heart movie, um, which was a TV movie. Um, so there's like, there's a couple things. Um, there's, a, I think there was another show um, or two. Um, but yeah, it really hasn't been um, a part of, you know, the big Hollywood conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's probably still to- stories to be told, um, more so about kind of like the failure of, like the government and um, like a better story about, um, you know, kind of the medical side of things yeah. Um, yeah. Than, than this is. Um, have you seen All the Beauty and the Bloodshed yet? Um, the Oscar no. documentary? So that is a movie um, that I think really, it's really smartly um, kind of connects some of the dots between um, AIDS as and and COVID and just the way that, government and institutions kind of respond to these plagues and and not even just those two um it's also about the opioid crisis and um mental illness so it's just kind of more of a holistic look about how you know the government tends to fail to respond to these kinds of of crises so um that is a, a really great documentary from this year that i think is um kind of tackling the side of the story that i think um needs maybe still some telling which is just like that for you know the longest time um gay people and people with aids were kind of just like left hung out to dry with this and you know weren't receiving like the help that they needed so um yeah i i and because this Dallas Buyers Club is so close to that. Like, I just, I really wish I had gone deeper and actually yeah. kind of tackled some of that. But um, yeah, yeah. Like I said, to me, it just feels like the most sort of cynical sort of Oscar bait. Can we find you on social media? Are you on any other podcasts we should know about? I am. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> um, I am on uh, a podcast that I co-host with a couple friends called When We Were Young which tackles 80s and 90s movies, um, sometimes music and TV too. Um, but basically just kind of looking back at what we were watching then or what was popular then and kind of seeing, you know, how it does or doesn't hold up uh, today. So um, you can find us there if you'd like to. Um, and I'm also on Letterboxd at Real Nobody, R-E-A-L, Nobody. Um, if you care to read... Um, various sometimes sometimes well thought out and sometimes you know kind of uh slapdash uh, movie reviews for me i like i like your movie reviews on letterboxd um and whenever there's a new one i always make sure to read it uh, oh thank you uh it's there it's always nice to get your perspective that's why i like having it i like you on the show and and talking about these things it's always a great talk so thank you again um if you want to find me on social media i am so brian Rowe. that's brian with an i r o w e i'm on instagram and letterboxd uh you can find the podcast on instagram and youtube at piece of pie pod uh give us a like give us a follow make sure you're subscribed um i feel like our next episode is probably going to be the oscars so uh make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it because it's going to be a great chat And I'm looking forward to it. Until then, uh, go watch the movie and we'll see you next time.